Hey, thanks for listening to the podcast today. I hope you enjoy it. But first, I want to ask you a question. Are you someone who has high upside potential in your business and yet sometimes that goal is just hard to get to and maybe the only way you've seen to get to it is just to make more calls, you know, work harder? Well, if you're fed up with using old strategies to solve new problems, then I might have a solution. It's my five-day million-dollar seller challenge. We meet one hour a day in a coaching intensive where I will teach you five moves that you can make to scale your results without working harder. To learn more, click the link in the show notes or go to milliondollarsellerchallenge.com. Hey, comrades, comradettes, Bill Kasky back at the Bill Kasky Podcast. Before we get into today's interview with Dan Fredrickson, who is an attorney and works with sales organizations, helping them navigate contracts. So if you are in the business of contracts and calling on utilities or governmental bodies or large companies who use contracts, he has some really good advice and he kind of brings a little bit new perspective to it. So I, I think you'll enjoy that. Before we go there, though, go to BillCaskey.com for two things. Number one, we have a freebie there called What the Hell's Going On With My Sales Team. We had lots of people download that thing. So if you haven't downloaded it yet, get it. And there's also a, an email series on the back end of that that has a couple of free trainings, free video trainings too, that I think you'll find helpful. So if you're a CEO, president, VP of sales, sales leader, exec. And also, I want you to get on my email newsletter list. We're going to be uh, uh, firing up the newsletter again. We've been a little dormant recently, but we're going to be offering some webinars and some things like that. So go to Bill. Well, we're speaking today with Dan Fredrickson from KO Law Firm in Denver, kofirm.com. And uh, I met Dan actually at an event that we did in Denver here a few months ago. And uh, he has develop some really good wisdom and counsel around contract. Uh, and, and if you're selling large accounts where there is a danger of getting lost in the contract process, then Dan's got some thoughts for us. And I think a lot of people, a lot of sales professionals who do call on large accounts get stuck there. And so I'm, uh, you sent me some bullet points that we're going to talk about today, but start first, Dan, with how did you, uh, you're an attorney in Denver, but how did you get your start in this whole area of contract law and, and, you know, buyer discussions and that whole area? How did you get started in that? Yeah. So, so I've always been a, I've always been a business lawyer, right? I, I went to law school specifically wanting to work with companies to help them negotiate, draft and close their deals. Right. But where I really got into the weeds on contracting and contracting with with big companies specifically was um, in a prior life, I was general counsel at a company called Tendril. They were a SaaS company. They sold um, energy efficiency solutions to utility companies. And so selling into utility companies is kind of like selling into banks, selling yep. into, you know, any number of large enterprises, it's slow and it's difficult. Um, the sales process is slow, but the contracting process is pretty slow as well. And so what we found was we'd have these sales professionals who were going in and who would work for months, a year to get this account and everyone's excited. And all of a sudden it goes to contracting <laughs> and it's just a black hole. Yeah. Right. And, and what we really wanted to be thoughtful about was how are we going to 
find a way to move through this process. And, um, you know, through my work at Tendril and then now at uh, KO, we're able to really help advise clients on what's happening behind the scenes at the big enterprise customer, right? What is it that we really have to solve for? Because when you get into contracting, of course you wanna find legal terms that are most beneficial for your company. But ultimately what everyone's trying to do is to facilitate that deal. The customer's there because they wanna get the deal done. You're there because you wanna sell it. And so it's how can we collaborate to find a path forward given uh, the constraints that the larger customer may have and the constraints that we may have as the seller. Yeah, I have a client uh, who actually just finally closed the deal. It was with a massive healthcare system out in California. And, and they all did, they rejoiced when they got official, the, you know, the word that they were going to get the business. It was the largest deal ever for their company. It took them nine months to get through contract. And really? to the point where it was, it was, it lost its luster a little bit because it was so frustrating. And then, then you get emotions involved and that's not always good. So um, you've sent me some thoughts here on how companies can navigate the process more effectively. So let's go through these one at a time. And then as you go through them, I might add a, some a color commentary to them or ask you some deeper questions. But why don't you go through these one at a time? The first one is understand the customer's perspective. Sometimes we lose sight of that. So tell me what you mean by that. Yeah, absolutely. So, so understanding the customer's perspective, it's worthwhile to understand what is happening behind the scenes at the customer, right? As a sales professional, you've likely built a good rapport with your business counterpart, the person who's going to be buying or using your product or service, and then it gets handed off to legal, right? And, and legal probably is coming in cold, right? They, they don't know why their company is buying this thing. They don't know what it does. They don't know how it works. And so you're really at a point where um, you know, legal is not going to be able to provide a lot of value other than generic um, guidance on risk effectively. And that's not a good way to contract. And also the, the legal department is operating on with some specific mandates, right? They, are, um, they need to minimize risk for their company. There's probably some requirements around organizational consistency right? A big company might say, we need X term in every single contract we enter into. Um, they may require that they use their own paper, right? And the person in procurement that you're speaking to, there's a good chance they don't have the authority to move off some of those mandates. And so understanding that as we approach the process allows us to be slightly more sympathetic even though they're a big customer with more leverage than us probably, um, but allows us to approach the process more collaboratively um, to say, given those constraints, how can we move this forward? Um, how can we problem solve together uh, to address those mandates uh, while still um, keeping the deal the way it was meant to be, the way it was originally intended. So is that then a matter of really inquiring of, the, of your contact about 
that will they know the legal ramifications and how all this works? Because you can you can guess, but it seems to me like there's got to be a discussion at some point that occurs. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's a that's a really great point. And for some reason, when you get into contracting, folks tend to be less comfortable being candid. Um, and I've found that being candid is one of the best ways to move the process forward, right? By explaining to um, your counterpart, not necessarily that you have a problem with the provision, but why you do, right? Why is, um, why is it concerning for us to say that the customer can audit our you know, data centers? Well, it's because we might use Amazon Web Services and they're not going to let anyone audit their data centers, right? When, when you get into the specifics and get candid on the issue, it's a lot easier to problem solve. Excellent. That's good. I mean, I love candid. I love truthful. I think sometimes you can tee that conversation up in the right way. You know, kind of look, I, I know how bad you want to get this done. I know we want to get it done. I also know that there's uh, they're legal. We'll take take it and there'll be some issues that we haven't addressed. And so I'd like to address those up front. However, you would language that I think would be important. Number two is educate the customer. You say the customer's legal legal team is probably coming in cold, which they are. All of a sudden, I would assume something shows up on a attorney's desk and from the buyer says, we want to buy this, work out the details. And so, so how would you educate the customer in the best way? Yeah, I, I think it's important to remember that once you're in contracting, you're still selling, right? You're still helping not necessarily your business counterpart now, but the, the legal team on the customer side understand what it is you're, you're providing, why, specifically how it works. Um, you know, even if it just means getting to the right starting place, right? One of the companies I've worked with recently, you know, they sell a um, hosted SaaS solution and they wanted to be a good partner. They say, look, we're going to use our customer's form master services agreement. So they send it over. It's 80 pages. It takes a while to get through, send it back. And the customer then says, oh, we didn't realize this was software. We have a different contract. For that. <laughs> so we do it again. Right. And then they say, oh, we didn't realize it was SaaS, a hosted solution. We have a separate addendum for that. Right. So that, that's three different cycles where you still haven't even gotten to the first starting point. And, you know, in, in this particular case, we, it wasted six weeks. Right. And finally we got to the right starting point and all of that could have been solved early on by helping the lawyer or the procurement team on the other side, understand what is this deal all about? Yeah. I think a lot of times, when we, we get the verbal or we know that it's going to happen, we tend to quit, we tend to vault to the close. And what we need to be doing I, from your input is to, let's not rush this. Let's make sure we ask all the questions, we dot all the I's, et cetera, to make sure that what we're going to send them is compatible with the way they do business. And that's all process stuff. And I find salespeople don't like process stuff, but but if you don't get the process stuff right, you don't get the you don't get the money. I mean, that's right. You know. Yeah, yeah, that that's exactly right. And I think there's also a tendency to keep salespeople out of contracting. Um, 
which I I can understand the the reasoning for it or or the values behind it, right? But my view is that in, in contracting, your salespeople can be um, a huge asset and can really be the ones to help to facilitate those conversations and get lawyers to stop acting like lawyers in a lot of ways um, and, and move towards that, that common goal. So one of your other points is collaborate, which it sounds like that's kind of the culmination of points one and two is just make sure you're in a collaborative state of mind. Because again, like you said, I think this is so important. You're both, you're both trying to accomplish the same end. So this should not be combative. It should be collaborative. But then your fourth point is know your walkaway items. Tell, tell me what you know about that and what you think about that. Because I always, uh, I always think that you have to do that because at some point it may become too difficult and they may be asking for things you can't give them. And so you got to know when to cut bait. Tell me about that. Yeah, every company has those, those issues that they have little to no flexibility on, whether it's you know, ownership of intellectual property or you know, for some big companies, it's as simple as payment terms, right? They might not be able to just give you net 30 terms. And I, I, I think getting ahead of those things does two things. Um, if you lay them out on the table early, uh, it allows you to stall, start prob- problem solving around it. You can start escalating to the right people early on in the process. And at the same time, you're still working on the rest of the contract. Right, so you're avoiding those inevitable delays when you're down to one or two issues and you've just raised that final sticking point. The other thing that it does, and this is a little counterintuitive, is it allows your deal to die early uh, or to die quickly. And while it doesn't happen often, sometimes a deal is just not gonna close. If we get into contracting and it turns out that the customer expected that they were gonna own our software at the end of the day, and that wasn't our expectation in the beginning, we're not going to get a deal done. And there shouldn't be any hard feelings about it, um, but it's better to know that early before you've wasted a lot of time and energy and resources and money. Yeah, I always like to think of those things as yellow flags and red flags. The yellow flags are things you can work around and navigate and figure out a solution for. And the red flags are the walkaway items. You just, I can't, you, you can't own the software or, yeah, we're not going to offer you, you know, net 360 day terms. It's just not going to happen. And so is there any value in having a checklist of some kind that if you're doing a lot of these deals with utilities or governmental units or large companies, it seems it would be useful to have a, a checklist like a, on the, and maybe one of the points is terms. And one of the points is ownership of the rights. Another point is, is that a value or is that something that you recommend? Yeah, I, I think that is a huge value. And, and I'm glad you raised that. That's actually a very common thing that you see in the, the larger enterprise company, right? Their, their procurement team is often executing against a playbook that says, here's our primary position, here's our fallback, we can never do X. I think it's really worthwhile for um, even smaller companies to be doing that. Because it, it does allow for that consistency. It allows your salespeople to feel more confident engaging in the process. Um, and, you know, ultimately you end up with better contracts. Um, 
there's also the the corollary benefit and and we do this with some of our smaller clients who might be a little more cost sensitive they might not want me on every call and char- pay me my hourly rate um so if you set that up we we allow for a little bit more self help at the company where they can do a lot of the upfront negotiation and um only loop me in or my team in when things start to deviate from that playbook. Yeah, that's really good. I, I was re- I read a book a few years ago. You might've heard about it by uh, a doctor named Atul Gawande. I do not know how to spell either name, but um, he's a, a doctor who explored hospital errors. And he said, basically, the way you prevent errors is you have a checklist for everything. And he said, it sounds so simple, but he, he cited a stat that like uh, 80 or 60% of the people who die in hospitals would not have died had the hospital had a checklist and executed the checklist. It was just small errors. And I think it's the same thing here is maybe you have a master checklist for the, the hardest the most difficult prospects, which would be large organizations, but you could also apply it to your smaller businesses too. Maybe not every item on the checklist would apply, but it's not bad to have. And plus, I think it positions you as a pro. You're, you're a true professional when you acknowledge, look, now I know we've, we've made the sale theoretically, but I also know that we're not done yet. So we've come up with a checklist. Let's compare checklists and let's see how we can keep moving on this. Yeah, I, I think that's really, um, really spot on. And, you know, one, one of the things it also highlights is uh, I, 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 I touched on this, right? Allowing your sales pro- professionals to stay engaged and involved in the process. But I've got to tell you, when a, a salesperson steps into the contract negotiation and says, uh, this particular position is difficult for our company for these reasons. And that's why it's an issue. Um, it carries a lot more weight than when the lawyer does it. And, and the, the sales professionals that I've worked with that are best at this um, pride themselves on kind of knowing those points, knowing the checklist, knowing the contract um, as much as their lawyer does. Well, Dan, this has been really good, fascinating, and I think that uh, people will take a lot out of this. Uh, you've given us a lot of wisdom here, a lot of knowledge. How can people get hold of you? What's your website, and uh, how, how should people best contact you if they want to? Yeah, absolutely. So our, our website is kofirm.com. Uh, I'm always available via email. You can reach me at dan at kofirm.com, um, and then... You know, otherwise on the the regular channels, you can find me on LinkedIn and I'm always happy to chat with people, happy to troubleshoot some of the issues they're having and um, always happy to jump on a call or grab a coffee. Awesome. Well, Dan Fredrickson, thank you so much for your time today. I thought that was really good. Maybe we can do this again sometime and go a little bit, dive a little bit deeper into this. But I think this has been very helpful and I appreciate your uh, uh, wisdom and thanks for your time. Yeah, thank you, Bill.